Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. There is a look into man's heart that no person has ever taken or fully seen. It's one of monstrous evil. God sees it, and yet wonderfully he still loves us and seeks to bring us into a relationship with himself. That's because, monstrous as our sinful nature is, so also majestic is our original design. And the Lord Jesus has come to restore us to God's original intent. Just at the point at which man seems to sink to his lowest level of self-defilement, we oftentimes catch a glimpse of his highest potential for glory. Man's jealousies will lead them into wars, wars that will bring destruction over the face of the earth, and then these same individuals that go at war with one another because of all of the evil that's within them, and they pour out their own wrath upon one another. At that very moment, all of a sudden you'll see rising out of these events displays of valor and selflessness and sacrifice. You'll even see expressions of compassion and mercy and care and brotherhood even between enemies as they're fighting with one another that shock you and surprise you. Actually, the reality is some of the most human stories of degradation are told in the tales of warfare. But also some of the most human stories of the potential of man at his best rise up in those scenes. You do it. You read any great history of the great seasons of warfare, for example, you can go through the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, you can go through World War I and World War II, and you'll read things that will amaze you in terms of the absolute ruthlessness of men to one another. And at the same time, you'll be surprised at these great stories of compassion and bravery and tenderness. I know that I've told this story too many times. I've actually been accused that I don't oftentimes preach the gospel in the pulpit, but I just tell stories about my family. I hope they don't feel that way. I'm going to keep telling this story, and I'm going to tell it over and over again. So if you haven't heard it, and this will be the first time you've heard it, if you've heard it for the first time, or the second time, or the third time, you'll hear it for the fourth time as well. It's one of my favorite stories. It's a story that was one of my father's favorite stories. And I used to hear my father share this quite often. It's a story that he tells about his father, my grandfather. My grandfather was a rough and tumble guy. My grandfather, when we got together, used to regale us with stories of him getting in fights all the time. From the very time that he and his sister went to their first one-room schoolhouse and all the kids came out to beat them up during the recess period and they went and filled their little lunch bags full of rocks and they pounded them to smithereens during the recess period. And those are the kinds of stories that my grandfather used to tell him. He actually tried to pass off to me when I was in second or third grade a set of brass knuckles to take to school with me. True story. My dad tells the story of being a little boy growing up actually in his own one-room schoolhouse in Lake Apocon, New Jersey, and there were two little boys that were a couple years older than him that were big boys that belonged to a family of ruffians that lived in the mill district. There were a row of homes where these, this group of families lived, and they were, had a reputation for being violent, being involved in criminal activity, and these two children that belonged to this family, this extended family, were picking on my father every day after school. They would actually catch him, they would hold him down, they'd pull his shirt off and beat him with switches. 
He would actually get permission from the teacher to leave early from school so he could avoid their beatings. And on different occasions, the, one of these boys, for example, didn't go to school that day so they could wait and stand and wait for him when my father was making escape so he could catch him, so they would both of them catch him and beat him again. And so this was going on for some time. One Saturday evening, probably when he was getting ready for a Saturday evening bath, when he took his shirt off and his back had welts all over it, and he was keeping this hidden from his father, and his father saw it. And my grandfather became quite angry. Told my father to get his clothes on, put my father into the family car, drove the car down to the mill district after my father had tearfully told him what had been happening to him. He saw his father stop at the mill district along the road, walk down to the first home in this row of homes, knock on the door, saw the door open up for a moment, saw his father having an animated conversation with someone at the doorway. Then the door got slammed. His father was trying to keep the door from being closed, but the door got closed on him, so he ran off the porch, and he began to step back and look around the corner of the house, and he started yelling and screaming, come on out, H1A, you can come out one at a time. He'll send out all the, I'll beat you to smithereens. Right around that time, you could see people, my dad could see people posing and looking out the window. And then he saw the back door open of the house and people run out of the house. And my grandfather saw it and ran behind the house to try to catch him. But they got around the house into another house and closed the door themselves into that house. So he started pounding on the windows of that house and pounding on the door of that house. And now he wasn't a Christian man. And he was using language that I can't use in giving you the illustration. My father couldn't either. And he's saying, you come on out. And he got out in front of him and said, you come out, I'll, I'll take you on one at a time. I'll take you on all at once. I'll tear you limb to limb. I'll stuff your limbs down your throats. I'll do, you know, on and on and on. I'll kill you. I'll destroy you. I'll teach you to treat my son this way. And no one came out. He could just see people peering from it. And then finally, after my grandfather had totally vented himself, he got into his car and they drove away. I heard my dad tell that story multiple times. He never told me why. He never gave the explanation. It just, to me, it was just a funny story. He never told me why, but I finally understood why when he was on his deathbed. He was in the hospital, and he had friends visiting him. My dad didn't live but for only a few weeks after this. And he was sharing the story with one of the visitors again. And at the end of the story, my father became choked with emotion. He could barely squeeze out the statement, but he said, I was so proud of my dad that day. I know it sounds awful, doesn't it? But it was almost godlike to me, wasn't it? He was like a god to me. Leave it for a little child to see in the midst of the volcanic eruption or expression or venting of evil and sin in the heart of the human, some evidence of what is good and divine as well. The instinct of a father to protect and watch over his son and his children. And something in the midst of that mad lunatic pounding on windows. Something of an expression of what is the image of God in all people. How about yourself? You might know that you're a sinner. You might feel shame for things that you've done in your life. You might recognize that there's nothing good in you, not one good thing. But even in your sinful state, have there not been times when you've just been too modest to speak it, where a passion for God has risen up in your heart, an ache for God has come over you, tears have struck you for your sin, a longing to love and know God has passed through you, 
a desire somehow to communicate with him or be near him or maybe you've been underneath the stars and you've looked with a sense of wonder in the heavens and you've felt at that moment a sense of awe and a sense of worship and some desire to approach the God who made all those things and there's even snuck in your heart in that time even though you felt inconsequential before the stars that you could draw near to him and you could communicate to him and in those moments your aspiration for these high things or maybe in those moments when there was sweeping over you an instinct for justice in the face of something that seemed so blatantly wrong. And in the moments there was this thought that stole in your mind for a second. If you know yourself and your sin, you didn't hold on to it very long to this thought. But for a moment you thought that maybe your life was worth the shedding of the Savior's blood. After all. And in that moment, you would not have been so wrong. You would have been coming nearly right in your thinking. These things reveal to us what God has already revealed to us in His Word, that man, as it says in Psalm 8, was made a little lower than the angels. It's translated in some passages, a little lower than the heavenly beings. Interestingly enough, the word is Elohim. And it actually is a little lower than God. These things hint at a truth revealed at the beginning that we are capable of atrocities and we are capable of glories because we are made in the image and likeness of God. Although we are fallen and broken, it's all there. Some have tried to explain what the image of God is in man and they've given all kinds of different explanations, but who can describe the image of God? (laughs) How do we describe that? Jesus had revealed himself to others as the image of God walking in perfect moral glory before mankind and the full expression of the moral glory of a perfect man made in the image of God was displayed in the Mount of Transfiguration. And in that moment, he glowed from the inside out with an incandescent light. I actually believe that's how Adam and Eve were dressed in the garden. I think they were naked and they didn't know it because they shined with the moral glory of perfect human beings. And when they sinned, the light went out and they knew they were naked. But that's the potential. That's the glory that God made us for. How do you describe the glories and the mysteries of that light? You can't. How do you begin to understand its potential? You can't. But such glory waits for the sons of God. Stands out as our majestic potential. Let me give this to you as conclusion. The monstrosity of our sinful nature, the depth of our sin that we are unable to overcome and makes it completely incapable for us to bring to ourselves by anything our own salvation. The depth of our own sin helps us understand how far Christ would have to go in dying for our sins, descending into death and hell for us and to redeem us from those sins and to bear the wrath set against it. How far that He would go in letting His blood flow to the hidden depths of the soul 
of sinful men in order that he might pay its debt and forgive us our sins. How far that he would have to go, we begin to understand when we begin to have a glimpse of the awful evil that resides within our own hearts. But majestic man, man made in the image and likeness of God, man made a little lower than the heavenly beings, a man who walks between his own grotesqueness and an untapped, unexpressed glory, that man that is in every man, whether he's rich or poor, whether he's crawling on his belly or standing on his own two feet, that man for whom Christ died, that man tells us why God died for our sins. Why Christ died for us. He died for us because he knew that we were made in his image. And he knows what we can be made of through his own redeeming love. And by his reconciling grace. And he loves that which bears his image. Judge man based upon this higher potential. And then you'll find yourself weeping with God over the loss. You'll find yourself grieving over persons as the Spirit grieves over them. And you'll find yourself, because of what you've realized through Jesus Christ, going forward with the ministry of reconciliation so that men might have a good personal relationship with God. On our part, that good relationship begins by confessing our sins and also confessing that Jesus has died to wash them all away and reconcile us back to God who made us for himself. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.